whenever there's a difficult period, whether it's the internet crisis in early 2000, the financial crisis in 2008, or even COVID today. You, you have to focus on what's important. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we provide an insider's look into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we take a deep dive into the technologies and strategies that have helped companies overcome operational challenges and increase the value of their multifamily investments. So without further delay, let's get into today's discussion. Okay, so welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm Mitch Fanning with RentSync, formerly LWS. And joining me today is Dan Jernig who among many things is a valued member of our board. But prior to that, he's been a CEO many times over, most notably with Classified Ventures, a provider of online classified advertising in the US in the automotive and rentals space. And under his 14-year leadership, Dan grew the company to, I believe it was $600 million in annual revenues? That, that's right. Yep. Okay. And before selling one of their uh, one of their key assets, Apartments.com, in 2014 to CoStar for uh, sorry 585 million. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Look forward to it. So before we start, I want to say you know LWS, you know we, you know doing business as RentSync. They've had an amazing board all the way through their 10 years to kind of support them, guide them, and give them direction. But I think I speak for everyone, including the, the current board, when I say your experience and expertise has been really invaluable over the last year. So on behalf of everyone, I just want to thank you for that. So, Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So when we kind of connected via email to talk about a, a potential topic, you know, obviously, I was curious about your story and, and classified ventures and to get your general thoughts on, on you know, the rental market you know, and what that'll look like in this environment and moving forward. But you know, I, again, as we were talking kind of before we, we hit record, you know, as I was digging into it, I, I did notice a little bit of a, of a pattern. Obviously, you know, maybe a small data set, but you know, where you know, starting in, in 2000, you, you started off as an executive, a senior executive at a company. You assume you assume the CEO role, and that's uh, classified ventures and element. And then that that company seemed to operate in some uncertain times, or at least was going through a transition. And then you were able to to navigate them to either a, a successful outcome or at least stabilize the situation. So what I wanted to do is maybe focus the conversation on getting your thoughts on what it takes to be a successful leader in uncertain times, given given the environment we're in now. So, and maybe have some, some of the key lessons or takeaways that, that you've, uh, you've gleaned throughout the years. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, thank you for the question. It wasn't certainly a plan that I was uh, in those situations at, at that time. It just, you know, something that, uh, that unfolded. And when a situation unfolds, you have to do the best you can to, uh, to move forward. Call it being lucky enough or unlucky enough, I was in those situations. And, and I think whenever there's a difficult period, whether it's the internet crisis in early 2000, the financial crisis in 2008, or even COVID today, you, you have to focus on what's important both to the respective businesses and to your customers. 
you know, certainly COVID is very much different than the internet bubble of 2000 or the financial crisis of 2008. Back in those times, obviously, you didn't have to worry about people's safety, first and foremost, your own employees' safety, and then the safety of your customers. So clearly, that's different with COVID than, than it was with respect to financial crisis. But once you get over, you know, the, the most basic things that you have to do, i.e. the safety of your own employees and or your customers, then you really start to focus on what's important. And first and foremost, as a business, what's important to your customers? What are their pain points that they experience each and every day in their lives and their business? And how can you as a business help them overcome their pain points? Because if you can help them be successful in what they do, you'll be successful in return. And I think when I look back, whether it be at apartments.com or at Element, and I went through those transitions, that's what I did first and foremost, is focus on the customer, focused on what their point pain points were, and how we could help them become more successful. And as a business, we learned through that, and so did our employees, and we became a better company as a result of that. And I, I think ultimately that led to our successful transition through those difficult periods. So I took a note. I want to I want to kind of come back to that and double click into that a little bit more. Where where I I also want to kind of start is you know going back to 2000 almost. Um, you know, CEO David Israel steps down. You're 35, and yes. you just joined as a VP. As I as I mentioned, six months. Chief prior. financial officer. Yes. Chief yeah, chief financial officer. Six months prior, I, I think it was. Yes, that's right. I joined in April 1st. That's right. And, you know, promoted to CEO. So again, you know, it was shortly after the dot-com bubble peaked, at, I think March 2000, you know, Classified Ventures is in a online advertising space. I, I believe at that time you did own apartments.com. Yes. And Apartments.com and cars.com. That's right. So, you know, Take me back to that. Why, given all that was going on, why did you decide to take the CEO role at Classified Ventures? Yeah. Well, I guess first and foremost, I believed in the underlying business and, and the fundamentals in terms of uh, what a, both apartments.com and cars.com could do in their respective industries. You got to remember, you know, the dot com bubble was fueled in part by a lot of, you know, very bright, but I would say young, and in many cases, inexperienced entrepreneurs and managers. And when they were given a blank check to grow their businesses, it was like giving a credit card with an unlimited balance to a teenager. What's the first thing they do? Well, they, they tend to go a bit, you know, crazy in terms of spending money without really focusing on the fundamentals of where you can spend money wisely that values the business and values your customers. And, and ultimately that led to the internet bubble burst when companies were generating you know, very small amounts of revenue but spending large sums of money. And you know, that caused the capital markets to take a different view of those businesses. And then all of a sudden, nobody wanted to invest in these businesses. You spoke about, you know, Classified Ventures. The CEO decided at that point in time, you know, to take a different job, a different position. I saw it as an opportunity. When I looked at the core underlying businesses of both Apartments.com and, and Cars.com, 
I saw that there was, you know, great potential in what we could help our customers achieve in the mid to longer term. But at the same time, there were, there were a lot of things that we were doing that were self-inflicting wounds that we as a management team, and even though I was young at the time, I probably had more management experience than a lot of the other younger managers at Classified Ventures. I quickly saw that there were a lot of things that we were doing as a business that weren't driving value that was, you know, resulting in us spending a lot of money, that if we focused on the things that uh, we needed to focus on to make our customers successful, that we could ultimately be successful as a business. And, uh, you know, luckily, I mean, I I was lucky as, as well. We had the wind behind our backs. The online internet classified businesses were growing. Mm-hmm. It was a small business, but it was still growing. So your revenue growth, you know, was was there. What you had to do in the early days after the internet bubble burst was focus on your expense base and right size the business. And and we quickly did that, not without some pain. We you know we had to downsize the company from 650 employees down to almost three you know to about 350 employees. Okay. So it was quite a bit of pain that we had to go through. But it was ultimately the right thing to do, both for our customers and for our business as a whole. And uh, after about um, 24 months, we got the business from losing over $100 million a year to break even. And with revenues continually to grow, because the underlying core you know, products were really good products that, that allowed our customers to reach a larger advertising base at a much smaller price point than traditional forms of media, be they, you know, print or radio or however else they try to approach their, their customer base. So, yeah, a lot of the things you're keying on is, you know, the fundamentals, focusing on clients, you know, a little bit of luck and the ability to make tough yes. decisions, you know, given, given certain situations. When you think about 2000, you know, moving to 2008, we're in a situation now where you've obviously got a, a little bit more experience, but it's a completely probably different ball game. It's the financial crisis. You know, at the time, people are saying it was the biggest disruption to the U.S. housing you know market since the the Great Depression. Obviously, with COVID, that you know, comparing that, it's, you can you can kind of argue that point. What were some of the key differences now that you were facing as a CEO? given that you, you owned apartments.com at that time? Yeah. Well, I mean, the 2008 global financial crisis was just that. It, it was a global financial crisis. It affected almost every industry and every business, you know, versus the 2008 or 2000 internet bubble, which, you know, mainly affected internet startup companies. So it, it really impacted everything as a whole. I think, you know, again, we had to deal with the same challenges that every business did. When people, when businesses were short on credit, the first thing they tried to do were, were to cut their expenses. And Apartments.com and Cars.com were largely advertising expenses for our customers. So they reacted and, and cut, you know, advertising across the board initially. And it allowed us to regroup as a company and go back and say, okay, you know, why are they cutting us equally with other forms of media? And is there an opportunity for us to go back to our customers and explain our value proposition in greater detail and show that, in fact, how by spending more money with apartments.com and or cars.com, 
they can actually spend less money in other forms of media that were far more expensive and accomplish their business goals while spending less money overall. Mm-hmm. So initially, the global financial crisis of 2008, I mean, it took a hit on us as a business. We had to you know, pretty well tighten our you know, growth for a period of time. But it also allowed us to, again, refocus on our customers and use it as an opportunity to get back to the table and explain to our customers how we can help them through a very difficult transition by having them spend less overall advertising dollars while at the same time investing more in fundamental online products to help drive their business growth. And we were successful in doing that. We had a lot of good core metrics that we built as a team, you know, between the period 2000 and 2008. And it really gave us an opportunity, like I said, to identify the pain points of our customers and help overcome those pain points. And uh, we were able to grow through that period, you know, between 2008, 2009, and 2010, when other industries were, were struggling. Hi everyone, Nicolina here, interrupting your regularly scheduled programming to bring you a special announcement on behalf of RentSync. RentSync is excited to report that we have placed number 165 on the Globe and Mail's second annual ranking of Canada's top growing companies list, a ranking based on its three-year revenue growth of 283%. With that said, we'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to our employees, our clients, our partners, and anyone who has been part of the RentSync world over the past decade. From our board of directors, trusted associations, and investors, we thank you for believing in us and being with us on this incredible journey. On behalf of RentSync, we thank you. You can find the full list of winners in the October issue of Report on Business magazine at tgam.ca forward slash top growing. Now let's get back to the episode. In addition, and I'm going to go off script a little bit. In, in, sure. in, in addition to, and, and very similar to, to kind of RentSync's uh, situation as well that we've we faced uh, in terms of, you know, reallocating spend or re- reallocating what, what the, the, our clients are doing during this time. One of the things, and again, one of the, 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 uh, the, the themes that keep coming up in, in kind of conversations I'm having on the podcast is, you know, during this time, it's a time to innovate and change ways you're doing it. So in addition to that, were there, were there any things that kind of come to mind as far as you classified ventures being innovative or doing things differently that helped kind of get through some of those, those, uh, those times? Yeah, I remember there are a couple of things that we did. And, and, you know, in hindsight, you might call them innovative. At the time, we, we were probably trying to be reactionary. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, like, like we talked about before, sometimes you're just lucky. But I remember, you know, we were trying to prove the value proposition of our products, whether it be apartments.com or cars.com. And we, we struggled with that because advertisement at times – you spend money and then you, you try to figure out whether or not you spent that money successfully. But we were really struggling with a way to prove that. And then uh, I'm not sure how we came up with it or who came up with it at our company. And, and, and it's too bad we didn't patent it at the time. But uh, we came up with the concept of, okay, well, you know, apartment managers, when they place an ad in print or online, we can track those ads separately by putting 1-800 phone numbers different 1-800 phone numbers in the print ad, in the online ad. 
And then you can actually record the response rate you get for the dollar that you invest. And we actually gave out 108, 100, uh, 800 phone numbers for free to our customers simply so we could track their both in print and online and demonstrate our value proposition. That was probably the fundamentalist, you know, best thing that we did. I think we started in apartments.com. We carried it over to cars.com and it really allowed us to collect data to really show the value proposition at a price point uh, compared to other forms of media. And that helped us in the 2008 global financial crisis because we built up our data analytics over the course of uh, eight years. Again, we were able to go back to our customers and show them how, in fact, they could cut their overall advertising expense and still grow their business by investing in forms of advertising that really drove their business while cutting out other forms of advertising. So that's one example. You know, again, call it luck, call it innovation. Maybe it's a bit of a combination of both. Absolutely. And obviously that and everything else that you were doing helped fuel the growth of, of apartments.com over those years from really 2008 to 2014. As a result, you know, again, you know, public knowledge, you, know, you decided to, to sell that asset, apartments.com, to CoStar. And then you remained, you were, it looks like you remained with Classified Ventures, but essentially apartments.com at this point, maybe you're driving that as the CEO a little bit. Looking back over those 14 years before you decided to, to kind of move on, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing is um, Classified Ventures, you got to understand at the time was owned by uh, newspaper companies, five newspaper companies. And to a certain extent, you know, newspaper companies were very conservative in terms of how they invested for growth and in expansion. You know, maybe I could have pushed my owners a bit harder than, than I did in terms of reinvesting some of the profits back into the business to drive further growth. I think Torstar, or, or sorry, um, CoStar in particular, has done a tremendous job with Apartments.com ever, ever since they acquired it. And part of that is through aggressive reinvestment of their business profits to further grow the business. An asset of Apartments.com that we built over the course of 14 years, that they've accelerated that growth, even as the business has begun to mature after 14 years of steady growth. You know, we could have freed up more of our profits and reinvested back into our business to, uh, to, to grow our business even further than we did. But, but it is what it is, and you know, I'm happy to the business overall. It continues to do well and, and continues to serve their customer base after, after you know, working through it for 14 years. It's, it's good to see. Sure. I mean, I mean, that's how it usually sometimes it goes. You know, one of the, the other questions that I have is, you know, when I was doing, doing some research, and I've come across this before, is, you know, Ben Horowitz once wrote that every CEO is either a peacetime or a wartime CEO. And the reason why I kind of, it reminded me of, of that quote when I was kind of prepping for this was just based on your, your ability to come in and, and, and make that transition or, or, or get to a, a positive outcome. He kind of states it as peacetime means, you know, when, when you've got a, your company with a large competitive advantage, and he kind of uses the example of Google with their search, and versus, say, uh, a classic wartime scenario where Jobs comes back from after kind of 
being fired from Apple three weeks before they go bankrupt and he turns it around. Would you consider yourself to be a peacetime or wartime CEO? Well, I'm certainly no Steve Jobs, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I think for the most part, I was a you know peacetime CEO. I, I, again, I, you know, even though we had periods like the internet bubble of, of 2000 or the global financial crisis of 2008, or even some of the, you know, challenges that I had to go through at Element after I left Classified Ventures. But when you look through that 14 period, the vast majority of it was, you know, we had the wind behind our backs. The online advertising space was growing at a steady clip as you had a genera- generational shift in owners those new owners tend to focus more on, you know, forms of advertising that they were used to and, and as a result invested more in online advertising. So certainly we had that behind our backs. Not having, you know, notwithstanding that, we still had to be able to execute. And, you know, I think we had a great team at uh, Apartments.com and, and it was that team that allowed us to invest in, uh, again, our technology and our service to our customers that ultimately drove that success and allowed us to grow as a business for 14 years in a row. And I'm very proud of that track record and very proud of, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, all the employees that came through apartments.com, one of which uh, started Grubhub and is now one of the largest, uh, you know, uh, take-home delivery companies in, in the U.S. on the New York Stock Exchange with, I think, a you know valuation of over $13 billion. He used to work at Classified Ventures. And uh, I think it's great that somebody that used to work at Classified Ventures went out and started his own business, and, and it's doing extremely well. So I think of many of the entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe worked at Classified Ventures for two or three years and struck out on their own and, and did things. I think it was part of that overall environment and that culture that we tried to build where, you know, even though we grew as a business, we tried to focus and, and remain very entrepreneurial and, uh, and encouraged people to come up with new ideas and better ways of doing business than we have done historically. And that was part of our success, I think. That's, very, that's a very cool story. I didn't know that. So obviously, you know, moving 2014 to the present day, you, you, you know, last year, again, you, you came on, you joined our board. You've had a, obviously a lot of experience in the, the U.S. market. You know, you're from Toronto, so obviously you're, you're very astute when it comes to the Canadian market. What are some of the big changes or, or you know, things that you see that are, are the most significant changes in the rental housing industry, say compared to 2008 or 2000, if we want to go even back that far, or specifically just focusing on the U.S. versus versus Canada? Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think rental is, is a housing choice is becoming more and more important going forward. You know, buying a house, whether it's in Canada or the U.S., is becoming exceedingly expensive for a lot of young couples. And I think as a result, the rental community is responding by providing, you know, a, a very affordable housing but housing that the, the people now want to use as choice. And that, you know, creates an opportunity. I think uh, it creates an opportunity for the rental industry as a whole, but for also all the service providers to the rental industry. And, you know, how can we help in, in that regard? But I think going forward, you know, rental is going to be increasingly more important as a choice for consumers when it comes to, you know, 
a longer term housing uh, solution than than acquiring a you know standalone house like I did when I was in my early you know thirties. Yeah, we're so definitely. I think there's a profound shift in the industry. Yeah, we 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 definitely personally, I'm seeing that as well, just from my my own view, and I think we're we're definitely seeing that shift more and more. Now, as a result of COVID nineteen, and given your your leadership experience, you now obviously you know in addition to 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 uh, RentSync, you you also sit on other boards. What advice are you giving these CEOs or other CEOs and management teams during this time? Yeah, COVID's interesting. You know, un- unlike the um, global financial crisis of 2008, we-, we talked about that briefly before, it affected every business, every industry virtually at the same time, you know, in terms of, of having a virtually a negative impact right across the board. COVID-19, on the other hand, has been, you know, very different. I- I'm on the board of five companies. Two of those companies have struggled through COVID-19, and the other three seem to be doing as well, if not better, than pre-COVID. And we've really seen that, you know, across the board. I mean, take, you know, companies like Amazon that has done extremely well through COVID-19 versus, you know, I, I can only imagine what it's like being a restaurant owner these days. And in the early days of COVID-19, having to completely shut down your business, and then in, you know, later days, having to open up your business with 30 or, or 40% capacity. And, you know, so COVID is different in the fact that it affects every business differently. And as we talked about, you know, before, first and foremost, I think, you know, with, with, with respect to COVID, you have to focus on the safety of your employees and the safety of your customers. And once you get over that and, you, and you've done that, then you have to figure out, okay, is your business in a crisis mode? Or is it in a stable mode or is there a growth opportunity? Because again, you're in a business that can help your clients through this successfully. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I was on the board of one company that uh, unfortunately um, provided, well, not unfortunately, it, it was a good solid business, but through COVID, when you're providing vehicles to full-time Uber and Lyft drivers, that segment of the market was pretty well in shutdown mode for three or four months. And, uh, and as a result, we had to go into crisis mode where we basically had to shut down the business and put it in sleep mode for three or four months. Told all the drivers to keep their cars, they don't have to pay for their cars, and that when you know, COVID restrictions are lifted, then, and you start earning money again, then we'll start charging you for those cars again. We had to work with our, all of our stakeholders to defer financing payments in those cars until we could get through that crisis. Thankfully, that worked, and now we're in the course of raising additional equity for the business, and we're starting to see you know, Uber and Lyft drivers earning money at pre-COVID levels. Why is that? It's because a lot of people are going back to work, but they're not comfortable taking public transportation. Um, so that's one example. Other businesses like LWS, I think, could see it as an opportunity. Okay, it really didn't impact their core business, Again, after they got through the issues of dealing with the safety of their employees and their customers, they could then transition to in, in terms of how could they provide additional products and services to help their customers through this difficult time. And I think virtual tours is one of the things that you guys focused on early through COVID-19, which is a solution that works, again, for your customer base, but also for your customers' customers. 
And uh, I think it's, it's one that makes a lot of sense through, you know, something like COVID-19. So you have to really focus on, again, what, what's causing the pain points of your customers and can you provide solutions to make their lives and jobs easier through any difficult times and, and how that's impacting their respective businesses? Yeah, again, sometimes it is a little bit of luck. And then depending on which side of the fence you sit on, you know, reacting and, and making the best of that. Uh, and so, yeah, we've definitely seen that we've been on, on one side of the fence and we've had an opportunity to now help our clients and, and, uh, you know, and really move, move things forward. We're going to move into really, uh, as we close the, the conversation down, we're, we're going to move into a, a quick fire round where I'll say a statement. And since, since you're on, on the board, I'll, I'll give you 90 seconds to respond instead of 60. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Dan, Dan, are you ready? Sure. Okay. So the first question what do you believe that others disbelieve? What do I believe that others disbelieve? Boy, I never really thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, you, you've kind of put me on the spot with respect to that one. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I tend to focus on, you know, data in, in understanding a problem and solving a problem with proven data points. So I guess if others, you know, don't believe in data-driven solutions, maybe that's something that I believe in that others don't. But I really believe, you know, in, in, in really understanding what the problems are and solving it and supporting that, that solution through, through data points and not just guessing at, at how to solve problems. Well, I can definitely back that statement up because over the course of a year or so, you've definitely helped us in that respect. So. Next question, as a result of COVID, what have you changed your mind about lately? What have I changed? Your mind about lately. Oh, well, I, I you know, I, I guess what I really think about mid to longer term is how this is going to, you know, how COVID's going to impact people's behavior over the mid to longer term. And I know for me personally, this is the first time that I haven't been on an airplane in six months in the last 30 years. And, you know, we used to travel freely across, you know, states and, and countries and, and, you know, just, just the globe generally. And I really wonder coming out of this, if, if people are going to rethink their approach to, you know, international travel and, and business travel and whether a lot more things, you know, can be done online and, and less travel. There could be positives out of that, but also certainly a lot of negatives out of that. I hope that that's not the case. But what I'm really trying to understand is what's the mid to longer term implications of this. And as a result of various businesses that I'm involved in, again, as a business, how do you have to react? And, and if it requires, you know, solutions for your customers, are you thinking about those mid to longer term solutions for your customers? You know, I really, you know, you look at the travel industry and you really wonder how segments of that travel industry is going to survive. I mean, yeah. when people aren't flying, staying at hotels, aren't renting cars, yeah, aren't going on cruise ships. I mean, the vast amount of capital tied up in that. And it may be maybe years before that industry gets back to full capacity. And what does that mean 
to the overall global economy and, and all the various, you know, groups that, uh, that are involved in those segments of the industry. I, you know, and, and, and it's too bad because I do think international travel is good. It allows people from different cultures to interact and, and mingle. And, and, but at the same time, you know, if there's a reduction in that, what are other forms to allow us to continue that, you know, collaboration and communication with different cultures and different ideas? Yeah, and if they if they do come back, how are they going to come back? They'll maybe they'll have to yeah, reimagine. Absolutely. And then obviously maybe with inflation, it'll only be for the for the few. So it's definitely interesting. Well, that's it. That's it for another episode. Dan, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And that's it. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's this week's episode of Sink or Swim. Don't forget to join us next time for another jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening.